Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, after the news of the death of Carl Weathers, I went back to revisit one of not just his all-time great characters, but one of the greatest characters in cinematic history. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. Two of the funniest shows of all time return to our televisions this week. And I revisited a movie from 2001 for the 11th time, but with a fresher lens and a question, does it still hold up? And the answer is, oh yes it does. Now, aside from your last four words there, Brett, your voice does sound a little bit different today. Why don't you explain to everybody uh, what our situation is? Yeah, we're, we've kind of done, uh, I don't know if this is like a Freaky Friday sort of thing, because how long were you working at home during two, the pandemic? Two years and eight months. So two years and eight months, The Couch Potatoes was recorded with me in the studio and Jeff working from home. And I think there was one week where both of us were at home because I had COVID and you just were like Still mandated at home. to work from home. So we uh, try, we kind of hacked our way through that. But th this is the first time where I'm at home and you're at the studio because I've been out this week with, uh, with pneumonia. So yay for that. Oof. Are you feeling better? Feeling a little better, yeah. I'm Feeling on the mend. Glad but to hear that. But if I start that. coughing, I apologize. All right, we'll know why. Um, I will say uh, thanks to our engineers, John and Sarah, for helping us hook this up because uh, what you were doing on a weekly basis for two years and eight months, I couldn't even do once by myself. I had to bring in help from our engineering team to get this to work. And I'm, I'm going to point out that uh, I was sick yesterday as well and missed some work. I'm at about 80% better now, so I, and I don't think anything I have is as contagious uh, as pneumonia might be. Is pneumonia even contagious? I don't know that it is what am i a doctor i think it is yeah so that's one of the i had to stick because just uh you know for to take you behind the curtain we record the show in winnipeg we work at 680 cjob the couch potatoes airs on chorus radio stations across canada and i co-host the morning show on cjob and i think i'm feeling well enough to come in but i'm still in the sort of infectious i need 48 hours from the time i started taking my medicine which uh, was on tuesday afternoon so by we record this on Thursdays, so hopefully I can come back in by Friday morning. But yeah, I didn't. I thought pneumonia was something that like developed. I didn't realize <laughs> it was the actual bacteria. Right? Yeah. So I don't know. Anyways, that's a good policy, and I'm glad you're doing all right. And uh, frankly. I was sick and missed work yesterday after a week of vacation. I was gone for a week, and on my first day back, I had to text the boss and say, hey, I'm sick, I'm not coming in, which I'm still trying to try and, you know, get him to believe that that actually was the case. Because um, <laughs> it's just the optics are terrible for stuff like that. But there you go, there you have it. And I'd also like to point out that uh, a certain uh, airline that will remain WestJet broke two of my bags while I was on vacation, so... <laughs> Thanks, guys. That was great. I'll be writing you guys a really snarky email in about an hour from now. <laughs> now, Just with like Grandpa Simpson at the, at the typewriter. Absolutely. Now, with all the misery in our lives this week, two of the best comedies on the air right now returned with new seasons to help lift our spirits, Brett. Uh, let's start with uh, the big one, HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Have you noticed that when you take a picture, you don't look nearly as good as you do when you look in the mirror? Because the mirror is how you see yourself, and the photo is how you're seen. I gotta be me. That's what happens when people have sex. They say, I love you. You're very special. People talk like that? Yeah. Men do that? You're small, you're petty, you're jealous. You're a walking virus, Larry. 
It's the 12th, and according to Larry David, final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. He does have a history of quitting and then coming back to TV shows that he works on. So while I sort of believe it's the last one, I really won't. You, you just can never count it out. Uh, what did you think of the the first episode of the first of the 12th season here, Brett? Oh, I loved it. And one of the things about this particular season, like season 11, was that, when did that air? Was that 2021 yeah. already? Yeah, it was at least three okay. years ago, yeah. So when that started, I watched the first episode and then I never went back to finish it. And I think it, it, it was because it was just so painfully awkward. And I get that that's part of the joy of a show like this, right? Like good, awkward comedy when it's done well is terrific. But I just found it so awkward with the, the Maria Sophia storyline played by actor Kayla Monter, Monterosso uh, Mejia. And but she was so good in this this role where Larry's being blackmailed to hire this guy's daughter into the new show he's working on. And I just I couldn't go back to it. It was so awkward and I I couldn't bring myself (laughs) to watch it. So finally, over the last week or so, I have caught up on season 11 of Curb and I like that it it continued that storyline in this 12th episode. And it, but this episode was sort of a prime example. Of, I think we've talked about this before about how curb. I find curb your enthusiasm a difficult show to binge. Yep, because it's exhausting. And so, and because this is the current season, I decided okay, I'm going to take some notes. And for a one episode, what's like 35 minutes, I filled up a full page of notes on all of the gags and like overlapping sort of subplots and whatnot and like it was hilarious and it's brilliant as always but good lord this show just like beats my brain to death oh absolutely i was exhausted by the end of it as well and and you and you just some of it you you sort of see coming not entirely but like when he says to like the chambermaid uh there will be a tip for you somewhere in this room and he's just trying to be conversational. I was like, well, you don't say it like that unless it's going to end up somewhere weird. And then, what do you know, 10 minutes later, $10 bill floats into the toilet and uh, sh- by accident. And then she yada, 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 right? So uh, it was the genius of Curb was still there, but it was exhausted by the end of it. Uh, another colleague of ours, Heather, said, just started with season one and she's been binging it like four episodes a day. And I was like, how are you doing that? That's a, aren't you just exhausted by the end of it? Because I mean, like, and this uh, premiere was classic Kirby. He was just angry with everyone all at once. It was like inside of 30 seconds where he's freaking out about something. I was like, wow, Oh my God, I'm already getting tired and all like, you just get all pent up about it. Right. So, and I love the addition of Maria Sophia. She was, She's hilarious, and she's a different kind of funny from everyone else. It's like when Leon came on board, he was a different kind of funny from everybody else in Larry's world, and Maria Sophia is too. She's a real wild card, uh, and that just gives him a lot of flexibility over things, and I just love how like, she's dialed up to 12 or 15 all the time, and she's just she's just crazy, and, and it's fun. I, I liked it. So uh, I, um, we didn't get a lot of good Susie in the opening episode, but we will down the line. We heard some of it in the clip there. Uh, uh, when Susie starts screaming at Larry, that's probably my favorite part of the show. Yeah, same here. I love it when the two of them go at it because they clearly care about each other. They clearly love each other, but they hate each other so much, and that's that's just kind of what friendship can be and uh yeah I'm, I'm so i'm glad that i got caught up on season 11 finally and i do intend to watch this on a week-to-week basis and it's funny was some uh somebody messaged 
me to say that they couldn't wait to get home on Monday so they could begin their binge of Curb. So I replied and said, nope, you know, there's only one ep- episode out this week, right? <laughs> like it's it's a it's a week to week thing. It's not a binge. And they said, oh, my God, I didn't I forgot about that. And I'm so shaken up. So save some yeah. time. It's awesome. Yeah, well, now, you know, it's the anticipation yeah. that leads up. So curb your enthusiasm off to a great start. And then you mentioned you got another comedy that's back. You bet. The other great returning comedy this week was uh, a global show. It's Abbott Elementary. I went to Harvard this summer. I've learned what it truly takes to do the job of a principal. Break it up, slackers. I got cameras all over this joint. She must be stopped. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Trying out cursing, you know, see how it goes. Oh, no, 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 no. Gregory and I are good. Yeah, no, we're, we're fine. Interesting. We cannot stand any more of this new Ava, and you are a very powerful tool. All these rules are so hard. Here's a rule. Put your arms away, Jeremy Allen Black. You guys missed a lot. Son of a... Feels forced. The Bear won most of the comedy awards throughout award season, but Ab- Abbott Elementary creator Quinta Brunson won the Emmy for Best Actress in a Comedy, and we were reminded this week why she's amazing. She belongs absolutely in the same conversation with people like Tina Fey, Amy Fowler, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, as far as I'm concerned. Abbott Elementary is a mockumentary-style comedy like The Office, but it's set in a Philadelphia elementary school, and it's about the teachers. Uh, it never occurred to me, but since the strikes last year screwed up production, obviously the mock- documentary element of the show had to kind of explain the absence of footage from the beginning of the school year and it was funny and clever a minor spoiler uh, they said the camera crew got mugged and all their equipment was stolen and it took five months for them to raise the money for new equipment to get the show back on the air and the show used that to their benefit as far as unfolding the stories that we missed across the gap including the apparent promotion of our leading lady janine played by brunson into a position with the school division and then there was all the janine gregory will they won't they love story stuff i actually had to kind of pause the show to go read a recap of last season's finale to see where that stood most shows try these stuff with a couple of their characters i mean famously sam and diane rachel and ross jim and pam and i put this up there with them as far as the audience investment into their story goes this is the reason that a lot of people tune in to see when they're going to finally sort of get together uh you know like on the big bang theory they had that with penny and leonard but i didn't actually really care one way or another how that was going to play out. Here I do. I think that's a mark of a good show, uh, especially with a sort of tired old trope like that, that this Abbott Elementary is somehow making all these things, a mockumentary of it all, feeling fresh again. Uh, They're in their third season now. You can string the love story stuff out just for so long before the audience eventually will turn against you. And I would think that at some point this season, we'll kind of get what we've been looking for to some degree. But this uh, double episode dedicated the last big chunk of it dealing with the ramifications of last year and all the time off during during the strikes in the real world. So it'll be interesting to see where the show goes from here. In the meantime, I laughed a lot. Janine trying to become someone who curses but can't pull it off was very funny. I hope they bring that back. Uh, overall, just great to have Abbott Elementary back. Something to look forward to every Wednesday on Global. You can also catch the first two seasons, Brett, on Disney+. And this has got to be great news for the networks because all of the network shows are are rolling back out now after being away for several months because of the strikes 
and uh, see the networks basically have just been sort of helpless while the streamers continue to pile on the various shows that they've got sort of sitting in the can. And uh, we're now seeing sort of the effects of the strike at the theater as well, right? Like Disney this weekend, one of the, the major theatrical releases is Turning Red, which is that uh, cartoon about a, like a girl who turns into a giant red panda. Right. And uh, th- that came out two years ago on Disney Plus. Yeah. They released Soul earlier this year. Uh, so they're releasing Soul. They put that on the big screen, turning red this week, and then another movie called Luca. These were all Disney Plus movies. And I think part of the reason for that has to be because we're starting to draw the, the well's starting to dry up a little bit right. as we move forward. So we're probably going to see a lot more sh- chicanery at the movie theater. But glad to hear your Abbott Elementary yes. is back and uh, that. That keeps going on the mile-high pile of shows that I hope to one day get to. Uh, And I know I need to make that a priority because you've been going on about that for a couple of years now, and it's going to get away from me if I let it go too long. We've all got our piles. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and my road to the Oscars continued this week with Yorgos Lanthimos's bizarre Poor Things starring Emma Stone. I am finding being alive fascinating. Do you want to see what the world is really like? Yes. Better. What? Why I keep it in my mouth if it is revolting? We must experience everything, Bella. Not just the good, but degradation, horror. This makes us whole. I must go punch that baby. Poor things. Rated R. <laughs> Four Things is nominated for 11 Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Stone, and Best Supporting Actor for Mark Ruffalo. And, okay, wow, how to describe Poor Things? Well, it's weird. That is the baseline that needs to be laid. It's not surprising for anyone who's seen a Yorgos Lanthimos movie before. You may know him from such films as The Killing of a Sacred Deer, The Lobster, and The Favorite. His brain is just operating at a different frequency from the rest of us. Occasionally, it's fun to have a gateway to see inside it. Other times, it seems weird for the sake of weird, and I think that's kind of where I fell on this one. Or, probably to put it more accurately, I just didn't get it. Clearly, with all the awards consideration the movie's getting, that other people are getting it, but not me. Uh, I did enjoy The Favorite, I did enjoy The Lobster, so I'm not bumping against Yorgos in general, it's just, just in this one, it seems. Emma Stone plays Bella Baxter, who's a bit like Frankenstein's monster. Um, It's a little gruesome to explain, so I'm going to leave out some of the reasons for this, but basically she is a full-grown woman who has a baby's brain implanted in her head, and so she acts like a toddler at the start of the movie and kind of matures throughout as the timeline goes along. It's really bonkers. Willem Dafoe plays Dr. Godwin, a.k.a. God, who does this to her and is seemingly obsessed with vivisection. There are chickens with pig heads, ducks with dog bodies wandering around his property. He lives for weird surgery and they show a lot of it it's really gross and i had to look away a lot of it a lot of the time i did not care for that at all throughout the movie different men fall in love with bella despite or because of her simple ways and her zest for life especially when it comes to sex there's a lot of sex in the movie she calls it furious jumping but it is almost always unpleasant to look at so it's mostly that and surgery stone is great i get why she's winning awards for this movie because it's kind of the most acting performance of the year she gets to pretend that she's a toddler in a grown woman's body and lurching around like Frankenstein's monster. So you can see why, you know, she would be 
drawn to the role. You get to do some fun, very different kind of acting than you've ever done before, and it makes sense why she's winning awards for it. Her uh, suitors include Rami Youssef, who gives kind of the normal performance in the movie, and Mark Ruffalo's giving one of the many bizarre performances in the movie, which is kind of necessary to match the bizarre story, I guess. And Lanthimos also has the same penchant for models and miniatures that Wes Anderson has, and that is actually the least weird thing about the movie, although it does look pretty weird at times. It looks really good at times, too. And it's not a bad movie. I just don't get all the love for it on the award circuit beyond the Emma Stone performance. And it just, overall, it didn't really do a whole lot for me. Uh, it just might not be just for me. Sometimes that's the way it works out. It's a good movie, but it's not for you. I will give Poor Things three couch cushions out of five. It is in theaters now, Brett. And how many Best Picture nominees have you seen now? Um, I have seen eight of the ten. I'm going to talk to you guys about American fiction next week sometime, and then I still need to see The Zone of Interest, which uh, apparently is very good and a really hard hang because it's about the Holocaust, but uh, we'll get to that eventually. All right, up next we are going to discuss The Count of Monte Fisto. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and we learned late last week that Carl Weathers has died at the age of 76. That news came out on Friday, so on Friday night, I went back to hang out with one of his best characters ever. I want all of America, I want the whole world to see me destroy this man after two short rounds, because after this fight, he's going to have to donate what's going to be left of his body to science, but there won't be much. That I can guarantee you. Rocky, 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 what do you think about the fight taking place in the spectrum? I'm very happy about that. Why? Well, it's only about 10 minutes from my house. (laughs) Apollo, a lot of people say that you lost the first fight, a victim of the Southpaw Jinx. Did fighting a left-hander throw you off? Southpaw Jinx, nothing. Last time I took the fight too lightly and this man was just plain lucky. But this time, this time you all will see the real Apollo Creed. The whole world's gonna see the real Apollo Creed. Lightning fast and hard to catch. No playing, no jiving, just business. So that's Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa in Rocky II. I just picked that clip at random because he was so intense in that press conference. I rewatched Rocky's one through three on Crave, and I say one through three because it was like two weeks ago or three weeks ago where I had rewatched for the billionth time Rocky IV just because I felt like it. And when, as I was watching that movie, uh, it still hurts to watch that movie and see Apollo Creed fall at the hands of Ivan Drago. And because, and it, really, Drago was probably the villain of my childhood because he killed Apollo Creed. And so I just I wanted to go back and rewatch this movie, these movies and sort of try to reflect on like, why was Apollo Creed one of my favorites when he was a kid? Because he starts off as the antagonist, right? Like he, Rocky is the hero of the saga and Apollo starts off as the bad guy or the obstacle. And even rewatching that first Rocky, I forgot that he's barely in that first movie he's in it for a little bit and then we don't really see him until the fight but even when we do see him whenever he's on screen he's just he brings this spark so i was even though rocky is of course the superior film of the entire saga i'm glad that they went ahead and made the sequel because that allowed apollo to become this bigger character where he's obsessed with beating Rocky because in the first one, of course he was just like, he treated it like a, like a gimmick fight, a sideshow, whatever. I'm just going to throw a bone to this 
this young local fighter and then the fighter goes on to beat him but uh one of the things that i always marvel at jeff is is like carl weathers who by the way was a bc lion did you, i knew he was a football player but did you know he played in the cfl for a couple of years i did not i knew he played for the the raiders wherever they were situated i think briefly but yeah the beast i didn't know he was a cfl player yeah so that's pretty cool that he was a bc lion but like he looked like a superhero on screen i think before anyone like even in that rocky movie the first two rocky movies sylvester stallone had an impressive physicality but he didn't look like the the big muscular rocky that we come to know in rocky three and four but carl weathers was already pumped and when he shows up in rocky four and i know he's all oiled up and shined up or whatever for his fight with drago but i still say that carl weathers as apollo creed particularly in rocky four i think like that's the gold to me, that's the gold standard of uh, physicality on display on screen. Like the man is just built. He was built like a Greek god. So impressive. He's just such an impressive on screen performance. And I don't, when I think about it, like he should have been a leading man. He's, yep. he was handsome. He was fit. He was muscular. He was athletic. He was charismatic. He seems to me that he was ahead of his time. Like, is this just a situation, do you think, because it was like the late 70s and early 80s that he was just he didn't make it to the to the to, to the top of the mountain because he's black? I do think that had probably a lot to do with it, because, I mean, there's some, you know, institutional racism back then in Hollywood. Absolutely. And there are, you know, quote unquote, only so many spots for guys that aren't, you know, big hunky white guys and uh, Eddie Murphy was taking up one of those spots and then later Denzel was taking up one of those spots and Hollywood's just super mean when it comes to stuff like that uh, just ask any actress over 35 so yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all because you're right because he had so much going for him and he could like do different genres too like a lot of you know big beefy guys can do one thing and one thing only and we don't you need only look at you know Steven Seagal for something like that but Carl Weathers, you know, he was in Rocky and um, he was in later on in Predator, which is also action, but less dramatic, more action. And he was beefy in that one, too. And then he's doing comedy. He was in Happy Gilmore. He's hilarious. He played himself on Arrested Development in a sort of a recurring minor role that was laugh out loud hilarious every time. And I every time he came on, I was like, I can't believe that they got Carl Weathers to play himself in this crazy uh, little cameo that he shows up where he's mostly concerned about people uh, throwing out food that still has, you know, meat on the bone. And it's like, and he's just like, hey, there's still chicken on that bone. You get some broth going and get up some potatoes, put that in a pot. You got yourself a stew, baby. Uh, it was funny every time. And so he had range too, which a lot of action guys cannot, cannot you know, claim. And he then he was even able to parlay that into some success with the in the Star Wars galaxy. He was right. uh, he had a recurring role in the Mandalorian, which sort of morphed over the course of three seasons. And he was uh, was reminded that he played a part in a show that I a sci-fi show that sort of flew under the radar. It was called Colony, and it starred uh, Sawyer from Lost, yep. which was a great show. He was in it, I think, for one season. And then he went on to do something else. But uh, he, like he, he, whenever he showed up, he was terrific. And it's funny, uh, he, when he did the read through for Rocky, he read the script with Stallone. 
But I guess he didn't know that Stallone was like the guy who wrote the script and was going to be the star of the movie. And he said, you know, I I'd, I'd, I'd think I'd do a better job if you gave me a real actor to work with here. And, St- <laughs> and Stallone liked the comment so much he's like, because he's like, that's something Apollo Creed would say. And that's basically what got him the role. Oh, that's awesome. So I think that's fantastic. And I honestly, I wonder, would there be, would there even be sequels to Rocky without Apollo Creed? Because yeah, the first movie is a great story, but we wanted to go back and see more because Weathers as Creed, like to me, Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed is one of the most perfect casting choices ever. Like I, I just, I couldn't imagine anybody else playing like Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed. There's another movie we're going to talk about actually in our next segment where there's an actor who I think is perfectly cast. And I think of another one that jumps to mind is like Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Uh, for me, that might be like my top three uh, of all time. But yeah, Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed to me is just like cinematic perfection. Absolutely. I agree. All right. So Carl Weathers was the man. And by the way, even though I've seen Rocky four uh, 4,000 times, it's only in the last rewatch did I pick up something that I think I'd always missed. So like Duke says to Rocky, throw the, throw the damn towel, man. Yep. And you can always hear this sound, this sound, and uh, it, it's like it's just somebody saying no. But I never realized it was Apollo saying it because he tells Rocky, "Don't you dare throw the, like in the corner." He tells right. him, "Don't, don't you dare throw the towel." And I never put it together that it was him saying that right before Drago punches him. So he hmm. didn't want the towel thrown. He wanted to go down fighting, as foolish as it was. And uh, I'll just one final thought here. I think the reason I cared so much about the character Apollo is, and I didn't quite realize this until the last time I watched it, but I learned a lot from Apollo, I guess, as a kid, that it's okay to give someone a second chance. Like I just saw Apollo as the bad guy, as Rocky's villain. And then in Rocky three, he be, they become friends. Yeah. And that taught me it's okay to give someone a second chance to give someone a second look that people can change or that there are more two people than just what we see might see on the surface that people aren't necessarily just bad or good. So I think that's why uh, Paula, why it hurts so much to watch him fall because right. I learned so much from him when I was a kid. I learned that lesson from Bobcat Goldthwait in police Academy three. <laughs> He's the bad gang leader in the second one and then becomes a cop in the third one. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. Uh, and, hey, by the way, uh, the recut Rocky Four that they released a couple of years ago, yep. Rocky versus Drago, I think that's worth checking out as a companion piece because it does focus a lot more on what Apollo is going through. Hmm. It's not a better movie, but it's certainly different. It's like almost a totally different movie. It's weird to see how they were able to add so much and take so much out and still kind of tell the same story just with more focus on Apollo and what he was going through. So not as good as the original, but if you want to get more Apollo, that's that's a way to do it. I think the only way to watch that one, though, is you got to rent it. And up next, we are going to tell you about something I revisited with a fresh lens this time to find out if it still holds up. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And big news from a big franchise this week. You feel that? (laughs) 
Just when you thought it was over, the Jurassic Park series is going to continue. I guess it's now the Jurassic World series. They are making another one, and it's expected to come out next year on July 2nd, so they'll be moving quickly, I would imagine. Word is they'll be launching a whole new storyline, so it's not clear if anyone from any of the other movies will be in it. Uh, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard starred in the last three, but uh, it felt like that story ran its course, and I wouldn't be surprised if we were just done with them for good now. Frankly, it felt like all the stories they could possibly run have run their courses throughout the franchise. Most of these movies are the same now. Some dumb billionaire thinks he'll be the one who can finally rein in the dinosaurs, and then, of course, he's wrong, and all hell breaks loose. Uh, it's very much a case of being a sequel that no one asked for, at least, you know, in culturally. Truth is, these movies still make a ton of money, and Universal has it, and the Frast franchise, and as much as I love Vin Diesel and Friends, that franchise is just about done. So I guess they want to keep something going, although I wouldn't be surprised if there were some fast spinoffs down the road as well. Money, of course, the thing that keeps Hollywood going, and as long as people buy tickets to see dinosaurs, they will keep making Jurassic Park movies. And I'm sure I'll keep going. I like all of them, uh, really. The fifth one, Fallen Kingdom, is the worst easily. And I actually happened to just rewatch it this past week by co coincidence. It was on TV. And as dumb as the second half of that movie is, it was still pretty fun and exciting to watch. But, I mean, boy, is it dumb. Uh, one thing I am really excited about for Jurassic Park 7 is that it looks like David Leach is in talk to direct. And he's done a lot of fun movies in the past uh, 15 years or so, including John Wick 1, Hobbs and Shaw, Deadpool 2. Two, Bullet Train, some others. And they got David Kep as a screenwriter. He wrote the two Spielberg uh, Jurassic Park movies. He also wrote Mission Impossible. He knows what he's doing. So there is a world, a Jurassic world, where all these things uh, line up and a good movie comes out, but the odds are not in its favor. It could happen, though. We'll find out on July 2nd, Brett. All right. Well, hey, since I had some time to kill this week at home, I did as I often do when I'm not feeling all that great, and I turn to a comfort blanket kind of a movie, which often ends up being the Avengers or Star Wars. I don't know. But I was in the mood for something different, and then it occurred to me, it's been a couple of years since I've watched this. It's some form of Elvish. I can't read it. There are few who can. The language is that of Mordor, which I will not utter here. Mordor? In the common tongue, it says one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them. Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. And and first of all, I was actually able to do this. Like I took picked up my phone, I threw it on my bed, and I walked away from it. And I sat and watched this thing from, from beginning to end with no interruption. And I don't remember the last time I've done that at home with a movie. So that was uh, like an amazing experience. But I tried to watch it from a perspective like, does this thing still hold up? Because it came out in what, Jeff, 2001? The first one, yeah, 2001, and then every December until 2003. Yeah, so the fact that it came out in 2001, I was wondering, like, all right, what's going to hold up here? What doesn't hold up? But yeah, the answer is, of hell yeah, it holds up. It's so good. Like, to me, all of course, all three of these movies are fantastic. I know Return of the King was the one that won the best picture. I always saw that as kind of like not, uh, a, not an award for an individual film, but for the, the whole saga. But 
the this movie is my favorite. It's always been my favorite. Same. And it was so. It's yours too. Yep. Yeah, like just the you know I think a, because it it's a master class at character building. It's a master class at sort of world building mm-hmm. in a way that isn't too invasive or overwhelming because we start in the Shire with these little hobbits who are just living their happy, you know, sort of nothing lives. And then they're kind of thrust into this crazy world. And that world keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we realize the stakes are huge and we meet all these other characters, but we care about all of them. And the effects are still pretty much perfect like there are a couple that you can spot especially if you're watching it in 4k where you can tell like all right that's clearly cg but who cares especially now like the with the the way the pressures the studios put on these vfx artists some of the stuff they're they're putting out just isn't as good because they don't have the time that to to get the job done but yeah to me fellowship of the ring in spite of the fact that all three movies are great i think fellowship of the ring is pretty much like a perfect movie I agree. And a lot of it has to do that it's, you know, the only one where we get the whole fellowship all at once for kind of most of the movie, which uh, I really like. The Minds of Moria, from them going into that thing to them coming out of it, I think that's my favorite stretch in all of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, we got a minute left, Brett. Who is the perfect casting decision in Lord of the Rings? To me, it's Ian McKellen as Gandalf the Grey, specifically Gandalf the Grey. I know he becomes Gandalf the White. But as I was watching him as Gandalf the Grey, I just thought, my gosh, he is so, like, 100% in this role. Like, you know it's Ian McKellen, but you know, sometimes you see an actor and you're like, it's, you're not watching a character, you're watching, like, uh, Bill Murray play uh, uh, whatever character, yeah. which is fine. It's great. Bill Murray's awesome. But this was, I was watching Gandalf the Grey, and Ian McKellen was perfect. So, yeah, we had Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed, Ian McKellen as uh, Gandalf the Grey. Oh, that's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. (laughs) 